The World is Noisy, God Whispers, the podcast is a production of Journeys Revealed Ministries. Glorify the Lord by your life. To learn more about this Catholic nonprofit apostolate, visit the website journeysrevealed.com. And now on with this month's show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The World is Noisy, God Whispers, the podcast. I am your host, Julia Bonin, and with me again today on this special six-part Lenten series is Father Jedediah Tridel. Welcome back, Father. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I didn't scare you away last week, so that's good. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) I still have a couple more weeks where I have the opportunity to do that. So if you're tuning into these, then you know that um, we are talking about St. John of the Cross's works. We're working our way through this six-part series. And so last episode, we talked about his work, The Spiritual Canticle. Today, we are talking about his work, The Ascent of Mount Carmel. What are you most excited about with The Ascent before? Like, what are you most excited about talking about The Ascent today? I'm excited about The Ascent because it gives us a roadmap. Mm-hmm. And we probably, a lot of people feel kind of alone. Like, what do I do in the spiritual life? And mm-hmm. What do I do ascetically? What do I do with prayer? And uh, St. John just lays it out for us. Here's a general, here's general principles, concepts, uh, answers to questions. Here's, here's how you ascend the mountain. Mm-hmm. We talked about the top of the mountain last week, basically. Mm-hmm. And now we got to climb it. Mm-hmm. So to ask myself that same question, so last week with the spiritual canticle, we kind of laid the stage that John's teachings give us this greater insight into the depths of who we are, what our souls are made for, which is like this love story to enter into this, this love affair, this love relationship with God, our creator. And so this is what the spiritual canticle kind of teaches us and reminds us of. And what I'm most excited to express with you today is this ascent gives us a greater understanding and a greater not necessarily love for suffering, but um, not so much of a resistant to it, resistance to it. We come to understand that suffering has great meaning and great purpose, and so we aren't so like adamantly opposed to it, I guess. So I'm excited to get to share that with you guys today. So speaking of that, and talking about the ascent, I'm going to grab my Bible here. We'll open with Scripture, put ourselves in the presence of God. This is Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Far from this rainbows and butterflies gospel, right? But ultimately the heart of who we are as Christians called to imitate Christ, who came as the suffering servant. And I think my first reading of The Ascent, that was the big idea that hammered home with me, um, that suffering isn't meaningless that suffering has great purpose and just this the greater understanding i guess of what redemptive suffering really is so anyway beginning there um in this work the ascent of mount carmel john writes i should not consider any spirituality worthwhile that would walk in sweetness and ease and run from the imitation of christ again this this work might be part of the reason why saint john is so often misunderstood as this what's that phrase you like to call him Oh, uh, a dour misanthrope? Yeah, that. Right. He's so often mis- misunderstood as that. And often, like, if you're not really looking at this work, The Ascent of Mount Carmel, that would be the impression that he's all about the severity and suffering and, and let go of all joy, let go of all consolations. And that's a part of this, but we're missing the big idea. So anyway, keeping all of that in mind, where should we begin with this? Or where would you like to begin with The Ascent? Well, it might be helpful to talk about about uh, his poem, The Dark Knight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very briefly. Yeah. And maybe read the first two stanzas just so we can see what he's what he's doing. So just like the spiritual canticle, uh, his work that we talked about last week was a commentary on his mystical poem, The Spiritual Canticle, around the same time when he was in prison, when he was dealing with all the political issues of the, the Pope's representative and the superiors of the unreformed Carmels and all, all the 
controversy surrounding Teresa's reform and his his help with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was in prison, one of the the mystical poems he wrote was "The Dark Knight," and he he gives us two different works that are commentaries on this poem, "The Dark Knight." One is "The Ascent of Mount Carmel." The other one is maybe the the more famous one that we all know, "The Dark Knight." Mm-hmm. Uh, so whenever you see in print the book "The Dark Knight," that's one one of the commentaries of this poem, and the ascent deals primarily with the work that we do to strip ourselves of inordinate desires and attachments. And then the dark night, the book, the dark night deals with what God does in mm-hmm. us uh, because we can only get so far by ourselves. And even that's not by ourselves. It's always by God's grace. Uh, but the dark night deals with more of what he calls the passive night mm-hmm. of the senses, passive night of the intellect we'll, or of, of the spirit. And we'll get to that. Uh, mm-hmm as we go on mm-hmm. but maybe starting with those first two stanzas those are those are the two stanzas that he really uh deals with heavily in this uh in the ascent in the ascent so those first two stanzas of his poem the dark night read one dark night fired with love's urgent longings ah the sheer grace i went out unseen my house being now all stilled in darkness and secure, by the secret ladder, disguised, all the sheer grace. In darkness and concealment, my house being now all stilled. So to begin at the end, my house being now all stilled, John spends a pretty substantial amount of time talking to us about the ins and the outs, the whys and the hows and the whats of getting to this point, this point of the soul's union with the beloved, union with God, which we mentioned in last week's episode, like union of wills. So it's no longer Julia's will or Father Jedediah's will. It's God's will being done through me, right? This union, this union of wills. And so this, this terminology that I use is here, my house being now all stilled, You have to understand, like, with all of the things that we are attached to in this life, which some of it is even, like, we can even be attached to the good things, Mm -hmm. which which John spends, uh, again, a substantial amount of time talking about that. All of these things are good, but then we become inordinately attached to, and it limits our freedom. It limits our freedom to actually carry out God's will in our lives because we're attached to let's say I'm attached to um, other people's opinions of me. And so I'm not truly free to act the way that God wants me to act because I'm too busy thinking about, well, what's so-and-so going to think about this? And so I'm not actually free to act. And so this idea of like, this is where we're going, my house being now all stilled, that God, God draws the soul through these, through these processes of, of purification and of unifying it with God, that, that our souls reach this place of, of true freedom and rest in their creator, right? And that's where his terminology there, my house being now all stilled. It's even beautiful to even just like think about that, that that's a possibility. Right. Um, Let alone that this is what we're all created for, right? Um, Well, it's a beautiful way to put that. My house being my soul is now, my house being now all stilled and my soul being free of all these things that are exerting influence in mm -hmm. some way. He has read it here in, in the beginning of book one in chapter four, he says, we're not discussing the mere lack of things. So it doesn't just mean not owning anything. You know, there's there's many who are who call are called to that life, mm-hmm. uh, the life of evangelical poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's not discussing the mere lack of things because this doesn't divest the soul if it craves for all these objects. We're dealing with the denudation. That's a John of the Cross word. It just means stripping away. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with the stripping away of the soul's appetites and gratifications. This is what leaves it free and empty of all things even though it possesses them. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about, let's do a little like terminology break. Sure. So you already described the one John, the, you also mentioned though appetites and what you just read. So what does John mean by that when he says appetites? What okay. is he meaning by that? So that's, that's a word that you will see in, in spiritual theology. Mm-hmm. In many different saints, mystics talk about appetites. Uh, Thomas Aquinas talks about appetites. If you get the, uh, if you look at the, the Catholic encyclopedia, appetites. So an appetite is... Anything that exerts an emotional or psychological influence over us, mm-hmm. uh, and it, so it's so an, so an appetite is uh, it's we can talk about it as desire, right? So it's uh, I, I said 
emotional or psychological influence. That is an attachment. You mm-hmm. said appetite. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, l- rewind that. So an appetite is uh, the soul, the soul's inclination for mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. So it could be an appetite. So we could talk about involuntary appetite. So just the natural functions of the human being. We need to eat. We need to sleep. Uh, we need a basic level of clothing, housing. You know. Mm-hmm. So there's there's natural inclinations to having what makes what allows us to be human mm-hmm. right but then there's also he talks about voluntary appetites so these are the things that we choose to seek and choose to go after mm-hmm. uh, we order our will that's another word we'll see mm-hmm. uh, the power of the soul the will uh, we allow that to be ordered to something in particular mm-hmm. and when it's ordered to something that's not god mm-hmm. especially if that's something hurts us in some way spiritually or physically, mm-hmm. then there's a disorder there. Mm-hmm. And so John really talks about getting a hold of these appetites. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes, appetites, attachments, and disordered, mm. right? That we have all these that are naturally ordered, that are good. They aren't inherently evil, but then they become disordered through you know the pain we're all feeling of original sin through our own sin through our own imperfections psychologically just through what we've learned and developed as we've grown so we we develop these inordinate attachments to things that consume us and whether we're consciously aware of it or not dictate our free will right and how we're responding to things so maybe as an example we could think of of food right mm-hmm. so there's the the involuntary appetite towards food we need to eat or we mm-hmm. die. It's pretty simple. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's part of just how the, the body works. That's how God created us. We need to eat. Mm-hmm. So there's that involuntary appetite towards nourishment, right? So then we can say there's voluntary appetites for food when we're talking about particular foods that we like or don't like, right? Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I like pizza more than I like broccoli. Mm-hmm. And that probably goes without saying, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Uh, so then there's there's my voluntary appetite. Mm-hmm. So that's something I have chosen. Uh, I don't need to eat pizza versus broccoli. Mm-hmm. I just need to eat. Mm-hmm. But I'm choosing something I'm choosing something that I'm going after that I want. Mm-hmm. All right. So now let's say that all I do is eat pizza. Mm-hmm. All right. I let's say I'm attached to this appetite that mm-hmm. I I love pizza so much that I am choosing now to be governed by my love for pizza. Mm-hmm. I'm only gonna eat pizza. I'm gonna start, you know, gaining 50, 100, 150 pounds, so mm-hmm. I'm no longer healthy. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go to Mass anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to celebrate Mass. I'm a priest. <laughs> I'm not going to celebrate Mass anymore because I'm busy eating pizza mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I am letting pizza govern my life. That's mm-hmm. a disordered attachment. So we mm-hmm. take something that we're naturally ordered to, something that we naturally need, food. Mm-hmm. We add on to it a kind of particular appetite a voluntary appetite i choose this over this Mm -hmm. and then we allow that voluntary appetite to now govern us Mm -hmm. and you know there's that's an extreme example Mm -hmm. uh but it's we can see good things like food becoming gluttony Mm -hmm. uh and we see that all all kinds of things good things like having housing becoming Mm -hmm. I want the best house, the mm-hmm. finest things, and mm-hmm. this this lust for wealth mm-hmm. now drives me. Mm-hmm. So that's we take a good thing, take something that we're naturally ordered to, and we get it, we put it out of order. Yes. Right. So quoting John's words here, because this is what happens. This is the reality. And this is the reality. Most of us, unless we've already been, the Lord has already purified us and brought us into this union with him. We're all feeling the weight of, and we're all dealing with. So John spends a lot of time first, just telling us that just telling us about, this is the reality of disordered attachments, disordered affections, disordered, um, uh, what was the appetites Mm. and how all of this stuff can be disordered. But throughout this work, it's funny, I kept pulling out when I was reading it because he goes through so many details of all of this stuff. But every now and again throughout, he'll drop in, please remember this is the why. This is the why behind me telling you all of this. Please remember this is the why. So in book two, chapter 28, which is kind of the heart of this, he breaks this out, this, the Ascent of Mount Carmel, this again, commentary on his poem, The Dark Knight, is broken down into three different books. So book two, chapter 28, he reads, or he writes, the discreet reader must always keep in mind my intention and goal in this book to guide the soul in purity of faith through all its natural and supernatural apprehensions in freedom from deception and every obstacle 
to divine union with God. So as we talk and as we keep relaying these ideas on on the show with you today, I think that's important to keep in mind. Why why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about all this disordered attachments? Why are we talking about all this purification? Why are we talking about all this, these things that we have to do on our end in order to dispose ourselves to be drawn into these depths with God? Because of this, because of that, because God is drawing us and there's certain things we can do to um, help that process along. Right. right? We always have to go back to well, the gospel, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but we always have to go back to when we're reading John, back to the spiritual canticle, and remember that this is it's inspired by God. It's the Holy Spirit driving this process, and it's our pursuit of God in this Christian romance, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Thomas Aquinas talks about uh, the fact that the things we love move us, and so we're moved in a fundamental sense by this love for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that last time. Even the capacity to love, to desire is ordered to, properly speaking, mm-hmm. it's ordered to the love and desire for God, for the Lord, the spiritual life, the interior life. And what we love moves us. Not everything we love, probably most of the things that we love are not God. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's why uh, he speaks in this way, mm-hmm. that we're ordered, we're ordered to love, we're ordered to for that union with God. That's what we're going after. This is not just misanthropy. Mm-hmm. You know, this is uh, clear, clearing room. Was it in here we talked about last time? Uh, it's like the Lord's not, yeah, the, the Lord's knocking on the door mm-hmm. to use that quote from Revelation. Mm-hmm. And we're there in the room, but there's a lot of stuff in the room that's preventing us from getting to the door to open it. Mm-hmm. And this book particularly is about us having a spring cleaning day Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. we need to figure out what's in that room and what do we have to do to slowly uh, remove those things. Remove it. You're right. No, we did not talk about that here. So that's a beautiful analogy. And that is what's happening and what John is talking about, the necessity of what's going on in our souls. They're all cluttered up with a lot of things, good, bad, and otherwise um, that are not God. And so we become, we become so attached to, all of these things and people and again like you said even some things that are necessary for us um, but then that doesn't leave room for God and so as God is drawing us into these depths into this union with him um, he sheds light on these and John points this out in his writing and I think it's important that we remind ourselves too that our God is a very gentle loving patient Mm. God and so he he speaks to us and draws us in the capacity in which we're able to be drawn And so um, we need not fear what's coming. And in fact, that's what holds a lot of us back. A lot of us can make progress in our spiritual lives and then we get stuck. We get to certain points where we get stuck. And often it's because we fear, like we fear like God's going to make me get rid of all of this stuff. And so we fear like what's going to happen. And if I can't do this anymore, if I'm without that, then anyway, we have to overcome all of these, these different fears. And, um, And anyway, my point with that is that to remind ourselves that God is so gentle with us and he doesn't want us to fail. Like he wants this for us more than we could ever want it for ourselves. And so he's not setting us up to fail and he's gently guiding us and gently directing us. And sometimes it hurts. I mean, sometimes we we feel that now even with our Lenten penances, when you're trying Mm -hmm. to sacrifice something, you can feel that you're attached to something because it hurts to sacrifice yourself from it. But God is gentle and doesn't ask things of us that are beyond our capacities. Right. Yeah. You know, when I uh, initially went to seminary, I was so fearful before I finally sent in my application Mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to be able to you know, play music like I enjoyed doing. Uh, there were some guys we just kind of a pseudo rock band get together, mm-hmm. jam things like that. Mm-hmm. I was scared of losing that uh, mm-hmm. that time to play music. I was scared of losing you know my love for sports, things mm-hmm. like that. I was scared of losing my friends, and I kind of found like all those things were in in varying ways and in varying degrees sanctified and repaid in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Even just through seminary, mm-hmm. uh, finding guys to you know, play music with and mm-hmm. just enjoy those sort of things fraternally. Uh, you know, seminary sports and just the community life there mm-hmm. was great and much deeper and stronger and more rooted mm-hmm. friendships than mm-hmm. I had experienced earlier in my life, you mm-hmm. know? And so just even on a really, really minor things, you're like, well, why would you, why would you be f- afraid of giving up that? It's like, mm-hmm. well, those were attachments, Oh yeah. you know, and there's, there's still plenty of attachments yeah. here, but yeah. those were, those were the attachments of that time. I was afraid to give them up mm-hmm. and 
did you see how like how like exactly like you said the Lord works gently and slowly, and by the time it's it's time to uh, you know give up what we need to give up. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're praying about this, you know, Lord, what are those things in my heart that are preventing me from seeking you with a with holy and undivided heart? Mm-hmm. You know. By the by, the time the Lord kind of reveals those to us, the grace is also there. I think to, to just cut the string. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Speaking of this, cutting the string. Um, John uses great terminology of that in in this work, the Ascent of Mount Carmel. This is in Book One, Chapter Eleven. He writes, "It makes little difference whether a bird is tied by a thin thread or by a cord. Even if it is tied by thread, the bird will be held bound just as surely." as if it were tied by cord. That is, it will be impeded from flying as long as it does not break the thread. Um, Again, John is kind of setting us up here, reminding us of the things we can do to dispose ourselves to allow this work of God that is completely a working of God and his grace, but things we can do on our end to dispose ourselves to enter into this, to enter into this, as John phrases it, this dark night, this, this, purification of our of our um senses Senses, and our spirit um and so yeah to remember that not to be fearful that if if that in that you're probably on the verge of like some breakthrough like a thread being cut Mm. when you're feeling the heaviness of well what's going to happen if if i keep progressing then i'm going to have to give all of this up and i won't I won't know happiness anymore in this life if I can't eat pizza anymore. You know what I'm saying? Right. But then you realize, oh my gosh, I don't actually need pizza. I actually don't even really like pizza. Anyway, it, we, we think too often about what we have to give up instead of what we're, God is actually going to give us in the process. Right. And anyway, we get tied up in that. So maybe helpful just to think of, uh, you know, what are ways that we know attachments in our life? Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe the first thing, and the most obvious if we have habitual sin in our life, you know, something where our, the freedom of our will has been reduced because we're so ingrained in a particular sin, you know, and maybe, maybe culpability is reduced for us. You know, that's something to talk to one's confessor about. But so if there's habitual sin there, that's the first thing, like Mm -hmm. right off the bat, that, that has to, that has to be confronted. And whether that's means habitual sin means habitual confession, Mm -hmm. you know, it means an aesthetic life, you know, trying uh, things like periodic, you know, fasting, things to discuss with your confessor mm-hmm. and to really hit that hard. You know, we, we don't need to be doing monk level mortifications if there's still habitual sins in our life or, you know, major like serious sin, mortal sins in our life. Those are the things we got to hit right off the bat. And mm-hmm. with God's grace, like God wants us to be free from those things. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're not a slave to our senses. Mm-hmm. And that's what John really gets at. We're not a slave to our senses. God wants us to be free from these things that are ruling over us. Mm-hmm. So that's that right there. That's the first thing we need to hit at, you know? And then, so maybe someone's not struggling with habitual sins or like kind of serious sins, but it's uh, maybe just like things, you know, dispositions. Mm-hmm. I'm inclined towards this. Uh, I refuse to give up that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, that sense of being drawn by certain things, moved by certain things, mm-hmm. moved by just temporal loves. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are those are things to take it to prayer. Those are things to, you know, during especially penitential seasons, what's our uh, Lenten penance helping us to overcome? You know, mm-hmm. what what what's the point of me doing this practice? It's to free myself in a particular way. So just kind of figuring out those ways in our life through prayer and just discerning what, what, what it is we're doing, mm-hmm. kind of uh, examining ourselves, examining mm-hmm. our consciences. Uh, to see what are the things that are moving us, and some are more serious than others, mm-hmm. but even one string, right? Even not, one string. Not one string. It's mm-hmm. got to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I, I remember early on in my spiritual life, somebody describing it to me this way, that God, it's like he takes this flashlight and he shines it to like a portion portion of our soul, the portion that's most deadly to us. Mm, yeah. Like you mentioned, like our habitual sins, especially our habitual mortal sins, right? And we kind of begin there. And he is, because he is so gentle and is so loving and is so patient with us, the light kind of stays there, like that spotlight mm-hmm. until you've received some... or until he's brought you through that in some way Mm -hmm. you've received some level of freedom from all of that and you like breathe and you're like okay this isn't so bad and i'm doing great i'm perfect now like (laughs) this holy life sainthood it's totally i'm got it in the bag and then all of a sudden he moves the light and you're like oh crap (laughs) 
<laughs> there's good more. Good job. Now, welcome to the spiritual life. Let's yes. climb. Let's climb. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. And so it is like, and this light just keeps, this light just keeps getting moved here and there and here and there where, where he keeps shining it. And so what do we do? What is this active part on our end as the person is we allow him in simple terms to keep moving that light and we co- keep cooperating with that grace that he gives us even when it means suffering even when it means trial even when it means tests and tribulations we uh, we allow him to keep doing that work in us um and really ultimately that's our job is just not to refuse him not to refuse him to allow us to grow but like you said um so many of us start this climb and then we get a few steps in and we're like no we're good and so I'll just keep doing this and we'll it's all good. Foothills, yeah. yeah, this is fine down here and I already did enough work and we have already come a long way, but still he wants to grow us even more and keep trimming these threads. And so. I think as we move forward and advance in perfection and virtue and mm-hmm. just the life of charity, we want that more mm-hmm. and more, right? Like mm-hmm. the more we advance, the more we want to advance, mm-hmm. I think. So it's, it's not like you get to a point where I, you know, I just can't go any further. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Because if we're, if we're really, you know, open to what God is doing in our life, we're not going to have that mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, again, it goes back to the spiritual canticle. This is about love of God. Mm-hmm. And as, as those things are removed from the room, as we mm-hmm. get, as it makes it easier and easier to open the, open the door, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think the more we want to get there and open the door absolutely and also what is he doing through all of this is he is strengthening us strengthening mm-hmm. our resolve and so where before we were we were really at like this we were in the childhood our souls were in this childhood spirituality they do mature in advance to adolescence and to adulthood and you be you become your resolve your will becomes strengthened and so things that to your past self would seem like impossibilities i would never do that i'm never cutting that out of my life i'm never living my life now you're like why did it take so long yeah it's not that big of a deal right (laughs) Right. can't tell you how many times a day i tell my three-year-old son that this is really not that big of a deal we don't need to be throwing a toy it's not that big of a deal but you know what i'm saying you Mm -hmm. you do mature to that level where the lord is um he strengthens your resolve and your will look at mary look at mary so many times we can look at her and we can say how did she have the strength to stand at the foot of the cross or look at the martyrs who've suffered these these terrible deaths but it's because God throughout, they kept cooperating with these graces throughout their entire lives. And slowly God was strengthening them for that, right? For that final act of love or for that final act of whatever it was for each of those people. But throughout their lives, they became stronger and more ready and more prepared for that. And so God does that with us too in whatever he's created us for. Right. So. Right. No martyr just just happened by accident, right? right. You know, these are, these are people who are open to God's will in their life. They accepted the the little sufferings even if they lived nice lives mm-hmm. whatever little sufferings came mm-hmm. they just accepted okay this is something that's purifying me in some way mm-hmm. and or we, you could think of some of the catholic martyrs in england you know mm-hmm. after the english reformation some of them lived very nice lives you know uh thomas more and thomas uh, fisher some mm-hmm. of these great saints uh and but they they had just disposed themselves not just but mm-hmm. they had they had sought to dispose themselves to how God was perfecting them throughout their lives and when it came time to make that choice for do you serve the Lord or Baal you mm-hmm. know they they can uh, they can make that choice mm-hmm. you know, as, we're going to serve the Lord here mm-hmm. whatever that takes and mm-hmm. with God's grace remember, this is always inflamed by God's grace and motivated by God's grace by His grace they responded to that to the grace of heroic charity mm-hmm. and, and heroic martyrdom so mm-hmm. but it but it comes from these little things we do every day you know yeah. little inconveniences and, and and that's what john is kind of continuing to reiterate with this like how do we what do we do what's the practical side of this to dispose ourselves for this greater union and these greater things um and so all these these little things i read an examination uh not too long ago that was so beautifully worded it was like do i desire do i say on one hand that I would die for the Lord. Am I like a, the Peter saying, even if I have to die for you, I I will never deny you. But then when little little pains and sufferings come our way in our daily lives and just the ordinary daily anxieties of life, am I quick to like complain about them and not to accept them? So like on one hand, I'm saying I would die for the Lord. I love him. You know, I'm Catholic to the end or bust type of a thing. But then somebody cuts me off in traffic and I'm the first right. to say you, da, 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 right? Exactly. Um, so like these little things, these little daily anxieties of our life 
can grow us and train us in virtue to ex- accept and embrace the bigger ones should they should they find us. So, right. um, and so anyway, John, a lot of what John is saying in this ascent is reiterating that this is what we can do to predispose ourselves to continue on this path, to continue up right. this this ascent. Right. right. Was it uh, Therese that had the the sacrifice beads? So every time during the day she would mm. make some kind of sacrifice or just endure some minor suffering mm-hmm. uh she would move a bead on her on her sacrifice bead mm-hmm. something like that i think it was maybe a devotion that uh i think the the group they were in was the children of mary mm-hmm. right in france at the time mm-hmm. and yeah sacrifice beads being part of that mm-hmm. uh the devotions they did and so when it came time to really suffer mm-hmm. you know tuberculosis which and the the methods they had to <laughs> cure yeah that crazy. back then were I mean, barbaric barbaric yeah cauterizing your lungs and things like that mm-hmm. uh she was ready to enter into that suffering Mm -hmm. and it was dark. I mean, you read Mm -hmm. her last conversations. I mean, she suffered greatly Mm -hmm. trials of faith, trials of the senses, pain, things Mm -hmm. like that. But her eyes were always on Christ and Mm -hmm. she was clearly, you know, inflamed with love. Mm -hmm. Like we, like we read about in the spiritual canticle uh, Mm -hmm. to endure that. And so that's, I mean, what a great model for all of us and Mm -hmm. really all the saints, you know, Mm -hmm. in their own way, are models of that this is possible. This sounds really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. How could I ever give up, insert whatever, mm-hmm. you know? But the saints, these are normal people who simply did that mm-hmm. and were responsive to God's grace in their life and whatever the the attachments and disordered appetites in their life were, whatever loves were in their life that weren't Christ, they tried to do something about that yeah. on a daily basis and be open to what God was doing, more mm-hmm. importantly, mm-hmm. about it in their life. Mm-hmm. So praise God for his saints, right? Oh my gosh, seriously. So, um, so let's talk, let's talk just like briefly about some things that we can do to predispose ourselves to this or little things, little ordinary things we can do throughout our life. Maybe some things you've done that have helped you, um, be inclined. John Mm. writes, where's that out to be inclined to 151. Um, why don't you read that? Do you have it in front of you? 149. All right. So this is sort of the, maybe the hinge of book one of the Ascent of Mount Carmel. Endeavor to be inclined always, not to the easiest, but to the most difficult, not to the most delightful, but to the most distasteful, not to the most gratifying, but to the less pleasant, not to what means rest for you, but to hard work, not to the consoling, but to the unconsoling, not to the most, but to the least, not to the highest and most precious, but to the lowest and most despised, not to wanting something, but to wanting nothing. Endeavor to be inclined to all of these things that quite naturally we say no right we're endeavored to be inclined to what is easiest to what is most pleasurable to what is the least amount of work right um and he's he's saying us like let's retrain our minds to endeavor to be client to be inclined to these things that aren't the easiest that are the most difficult that aren't the most gratifying right to those things that are less pleasant why because he just likes us to kill ourselves and he right. thinks suffering is fun. No, because these are the things that dispose us again to become free of all of these inordinate attachments and appetites and desires. These things that are keeping us from firmly and, and, and forcefully attaching ourselves to God. These are the things if we start doing these things slowly, but steadily by the grace of God, we will, we will change the way we think about life and God will use this as his means to drawing us into the depths of union with him. Um, so anyway, I can remember like first reading this and like, you know, I'm, we're often in, I'm from a very large family and food is very important in the family. Right. And so like, that's always the center of everything we're doing is the meal. And so when it's finally mealtime, everybody is already starving and it's like a race to who can be first in line. Um, me being one of those people as well, because I'm hungry. And so you jump in line to eat. And I can remember reading this and like thinking, well, that's a simple thing I can do is I can just wait, even though I'm hungry, even though I'm fighting off the, the hanger, right? And I want to be grumpy, but I'm not. And just hold back and force yourself to like be last in line and let everybody else go first. It's so dumb. And yet when we do things like that, this is what John's teaching reminds us we can incline ourselves to be more receptive to God detaching us from all of those things. Right. Well, what you're describing is a, it's a form of fasting. Mm. You know, it's uh, fasting from the immediate gratification of immediate food, mm. right? And that's, that's the, the answer that centuries and centuries of saints and spiritual writers and popes and everyone else mm-hmm. says is what trains the senses the best because mm-hmm. what's the, the most immediate need we have and 
maybe one of the greatest desires that we have is food, especially mm-hmm. good food. Mm-hmm. And so when we voluntarily deny ourselves some bit of that sense pleasure, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, like when we grow on one virtue, we grow on all the virtues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we deny the senses in that way. We're, we're really training all our appetites mm-hmm. to, to, not, to be inclined to last, not first, you mm-hmm. know, or what's worst, not best. And John's mm-hmm. not saying, you know, just go and live in the sewer you know, he's just saying that mm-hmm. if life took such a turn that you were forced to live in the sewer, mm-hmm. could you still say, blessed be God forever, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and little denials uh, help us become disposed of that, right? Mm-hmm. Not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not just do this. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you asked about just practices. I think, uh, you know, Friday penances, kind of doing some mortification on Fridays throughout the year is is very important. That's part of, that's in canon law. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, in the U.S., there's an exception that meatless Fridays can be replaced with something else. Mm-hmm. But the, the meatless Friday penance is still obligatory on the whole church. Mm-hmm. It's just we can sub it for something else. So living the law of the church is the, the best first step, you mm-hmm. know doing some kind of penance on Friday. It doesn't have to be meatless Friday. That's an easy thing. It's hard to be scrupulous. You either ate meat or you didn't, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's helpful. Uh, it could just be refraining from dessert. It could be fasting on Fridays. Mm-hmm. Living the church's uh, fast days, you know? So bare minimum, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. That's very, very easy to do. You know, we can do a little more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, making Lent and Advent truly a penitential penitential seasons do mm-hmm. it making in some way making the christmas celebration the easter celebration worth more mm-hmm. uh, because we're we're denying ourselves leading up to that time of celebration mm-hmm. so that's kind of the like step one is simply follow the law of the church which is very simple mm-hmm. and i think it's simple for that purpose where we don't it's not something we have to go nuts over or mm-hmm. get or become scrupulous about it's mm-hmm. very very simple to mm-hmm. just follow the law of the church and then if we get that down, then we can mm-hmm. we can add a little more, you know. Mm-hmm. We can and then get to a point where it's good to consult with a, a prudent, uh, someone you trust spiritually, whether that's mm-hmm. a close friend, maybe a priest, confessor, uh, just a just a friend who's you know maybe a little farther along on the journey mm-hmm. than we are, and mm-hmm. say, hey, is this? Am I thinking about this the right way? Mm-hmm. Do you think this is too excessive? Could mm-hmm. I be doing more? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, being faithful in a little bit and then allowing the Lord to expand our capacity with time, and mm-hmm. He does. He does. He right. does. Right. Um, John in this work, The Ascent, um, spends a lot of time actually like giving, I guess, advice to people who are directing souls. And in fact, he 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 talks about that. Like that was kind of he just understood how much we needed this, how much souls needed to understand this on some level, especially souls who are directing other souls, because if you don't know, you're leading so many people astray, you know? And so really spending time talking about that. And, and a lot of the end of book three, actually, there's a lot of like advice to people who are directors in your own priestly ministry, like as a confessor, as a director, as somebody who people come to, I know just in my own personal life, like having um, conversations with you, you pull from John a lot in terms of like um, just common sense stuff in terms of like helping mature the soul or grow the soul um so like as it, from where you stand what's been something that you've taken from john from his writings that has been beneficial to you as a priest mm. well julia i am young and stupid oh. <laughs> and will remain young and stupid for at least another five years okay or more or at least then i'll i won't be young anymore but still okay <laughs> okay right so you can hang your I, I know for myself like i can hang my hat on John of the Cross is the church's mystical doctor. So mm-hmm. if any talk of like the spiritual life, I can I can trust John. I can trust Teresa. I can trust Francis de Sales. Uh, these these great characters we have, uh, and I think really book two of the Ascent of Mount Carmel for me is has been the most pertinent in the confessional. And book two deals a lot with uh, being detached from spiritual goods, especially what one thinks God might be doing in their life what mystical things one thing one a person might think god is giving to them uh what prophecies prophetic movements things like that people are going after and john across the board says these these things are not god you know seek christ and we can we can talk more about book two but but john is very adamant that uh we should reject what we think are 
major spiritual experience, extraordinary spiritual experiences. We should reject those because we don't we don't have the discernment to you know, figure these things out for ourselves. And as a director or a confessor or even just a priest doing some kind of spiritual counseling, uh, you should gently guide people to reject these things and not go after uh, what they think are extraordinary spiritual experiences in their life, what are extraordinary spiritual experiences in other people's life, or, you know, prophetic movements, whatever those things might be, that these are, these are attachments. Mm-hmm. These They are. They're attachments that are preventing us from seeking the beloved. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, number one, has been uh, extraordinarily helpful. Mm-hmm. Because you might find I find myself in positions like I would have no idea what to say to a person, mm-hmm. and I can hang my hat on John of the Cross, mm-hmm. and then uh, like I remember the second one. Oh yeah, that uh, when when we pray, and when we're spending time in prayer, that God doesn't need the undivided focus of our intellects because we can't give that because our brains work involuntarily. Uh, that God doesn't need our undivided attention to have His undivided attention on us. And that the most important thing and the, the only qualifier really of what makes good prayer good is that we spend the time in prayer. Mm-hmm. And so, so many people are, uh, have said something along the lines of, I'm distracted when I pray all the time. I'm not praying well. Uh, I can barely get my thoughts together, let alone say a prayer. How can I, how can I fix this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, are you, are you taking the time to speak to the Lord in prayer? Yes. Are you trying to turn away from these distractions, even if they're, uh, if you're not doing a good job? Are you at least trying? Well, yeah. It's like, well, then you've ordered your will mm-hmm. to God, and that's prayer. Mm-hmm. That's, that's prayer. And John of the Cross says that much, I think, in uh, in Book One here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, and he really gets into that in Book One of the Dark Knight. But yeah, those two things are, I think, are the most important things I've taken from John as a priest mm-hmm. in terms of giving, helping, helping others, which mm-hmm. is reject. Extraordinary spiritual experience, mm-hmm. period. No caveats. And two, any prayer is good prayer if you're making the time for it because you have chosen to give that time to the Lord. Mm-hmm. He can do with that what he wants, mm-hmm. you know? And just because I feel distracted doesn't mean that he's not communicating something to the depths mm-hmm. of my soul, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Which I will reject. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so let's talk more about that in a second. But before we talk about this, let's give like a general overview of what John is talking about as worldly goods and spiritual goods. Mm, So John has this beautiful sketch of Mount Carmel. You can probably Google it and find it, even if you don't have a copy of this book. But this beautiful sketch of like ascending up this mountain, right? And on the left of this picture are the goods of heaven. And on the right of this picture are the goods of earth. And John is instructing his... um, his readers, his spiritual daughters, like we need to ascend straight up this mountain straight and not get distracted. And so these goods of the earth are just what what he's describing, the goods of the earth, the things we can become attached to in this earthly thing, you know, by physical appearance or wealth or status or pleasure or all these things in the physical, which makes sense. Most people would agree with that. A good name, that's very important. Reputation, right. So most people would say, yeah, I get that, right? Okay, that makes sense. But the spiritual, the goods of heaven, what does that mean? I can become inordinately attached to the goods of heaven. And John spends an incredible amount of time talking about that in that, yes, we can. And so goods of heaven would be like, our devotional prayer lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our, our sacramentals, like our specific rosaries or specific places in the church or all these things are goods of heaven, right? But we can become inordinately attached to where prayer becomes superstitious or our devotions become, I have to say this or something bad's going to happen to me. Or we, like you've talked about these supernatural, extraordinary um, visions or locutions or prophetic voices that we become inordinately attached to these supernatural happenings um, instead of firmly attaching ourselves on God. And so this, this whole book, this ascent is about detaching from both sides of those things. It's neither this nor that. Right. right? And so, yeah, like you were mentioning there, um, that these supernatural rejecting these supernatural things, John goes over, like he says it over and over and over. And so then the argument, of course, that he's refuting is that, well, if God is giving me some supernatural gift, right? So I'm having this vision or I'm hearing this voice. I'm having this locution. Which is far more common than one might think in in terms of uh, people thinking that, and whether God is or isn't, Mm -hmm. uh, 
but people in goodwill believing that they're having some sort of major mystical experience like mm-hmm. that, something akin to what you might read about in the interior castle. Mm-hmm. Much more common than I thought. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So, so John is saying, first of all, if it is coming from God, then God will know what to do with it. And like God would not let it not bear the fruit that he wanted it to bear. So you don't need to become obsessed with, well, if it's coming from God and then I'm not obeying God and then I'll, then I'm not obeying him and then I'm right. being disobedient, I'm refusing him. You told me I can't refuse him and now I'm refusing him. He gave me this great vision and now I'm not following through with it. So John is saying, first of all, like just put that aside because if it is from God, God will bring it to whatever end it's meant to be brought. Right. Okay. And then second of all, God, uh, John goes into all of these dangers of what first of all we're easily tricked and we're easily deceived um but even if we're not being deceived then it it does we become attached to like this feel-good consolation and now i took turn to prayer and i expect a vision or i expect a locution and if i'm not having this mystical moment in prayer then well i'm failing in prayer Mm -hmm. well i'm not floating to the ceiling every time i enter in church so i must not be on my path to holiness like saint so-and-so or whatever it might be and so john is just like laying out all these dangers of thinking that way ultimately why because we are attached to these goods of heaven that's right instead of attaching ourselves firmly to god that's right. So if anyone ever says, and this is coming straight from St. John, you know, if mm-hmm. anyone ever says that if you're not having, you know, prophetic visions or locutions, which are locution just means like a voice. Mm-hmm. If you're not hearing voices, uh, then you're not spiritual. Mm-hmm. They are lying to you mm-hmm. and they are going against the tradition of the church mm-hmm. who the church has authorized as the spiritual, as the mystical doctor. Mm-hmm. He's the, he's the teacher of the mystical life. All right. Mm-hmm. If anyone, you know, says that, you know, if you're not spiritual, if you don't speak in tongues, mm-hmm. not true. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit can work as mm-hmm. he will. You know, mm-hmm. if someone's supposed to uh, bear a prophetic message in mm-hmm. some way, God will work that out, mm-hmm. like you said. Mm-hmm. But these are not things that we seek. Mm-hmm. These are not things that we go after. Uh, these are not things that indicate pro- progress in the spiritual life. Remember, St. Paul was murdering Christians mm-hmm. and had a vision of Jesus mm-hmm. on the road to Damascus. He, he did not have that vision because he was holy, you know? So that vision did not indicate that he was a holy man. He was a great sinner mm-hmm. and that vision turned his life around, mm-hmm. right? So God accomplished the work that he desired in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so that's, that's just such a good thing to remember it is that like thinking of St. Teresa in the interior castle who describes all these mm-hmm. extraordinary spiritual experiences, she's describing what God did in her life. Mm-hmm. And, giving sort of an explanation for why that might be uh, and what these what these things are and mm-hmm. what they affect in the soul. Mm-hmm. She is not laying out, this is what everyone's spiritual life is going to look like. And if it's not, then you're not advancing. Mm-hmm. That would be, uh, would be kind of a form of quietism, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like my spiritual life is just, uh, it's, it's not based on in the tradition of the church anymore. It's just me and what I'm seeking mm-hmm. and... Uh, I can be deceived. And if anyone tells me I'm not, if anyone tells me to avoid this, you know, they're part of the problem. And yes. that's, that's, that's a form of, it's a form of pride or dispride. Yeah. And that's kind of from our perspective too, because there is a lot of prophetic voices out there, which have been from the very beginning of time. This is nothing new to our age. Um, but you know, that's always like an indicator to me, like there, that's a red flag, I should say, when somebody yeah. is not being obedient to Holy Mother Church, um, because if somebody was even having those these visions, look at Juan Diego and has this vision of the Blessed Mother who sends him on this task, right? And he goes to his bishop and says, "Bless this lady came to me and I'm supposed to build this church. Well, the bishop says, I need some sort of proof. And he doesn't just go out to the masses and say, the church is against this. And we need to leave the church because Mary told me to do this. No, he went back to Mary and says, the bishop once a sign so you know whatever that needs to be right and then but he was obedient my point is he was obedient even though he was having this vision to holy mother church and so that should be an indicator of um of goodness right Right. um but anyway so the the point with all of this again is not that these are bad things they're not bad things prophetic um supernatural movings of the holy spirit prophetic things visions they're not what beautiful gifts from god that god will use for whatever he means the point is we become attached to them and we become attached to the emotional feeling of it as well Mm -hmm. and so when we're looking at our lives of prayer 
and we're saying, am I advancing? Am I, am I being obedient to God? Am I remaining faithful to him in my life? Am I growing in virtue and uprooting vices? You cannot base indications on, am I having supernatural experiences? Also, you cannot base it on, how do I feel? Because sometimes we feel really great. Like, I'm sure Paul felt really great when he was out murdering Christians. I'm sure he thought he was doing the right thing, right? Like, these people are taking people away from what actually God said. He thought he was, I'm sure he felt really great about it. Right. He advanced in, what do you say, he advanced in the law far beyond his contemporaries? Exactly. He was very advanced. Right, yeah, yeah right? But, but that didn't actually indicate the state of his soul. Mm. And so we have to evaluate our prayer by the effects of our life, not by supernatural occurrences or gifts and also not by feelings because sometimes we feel great but we are far from god and flip side of that the dark night what we're talking about today sometimes we feel terrible prayer is dry the distractions never end Um, we're not getting anything we're not hearing voices we're not seeing anything and yet we're as close to god if not closer to god than we have ever been in our entire lives and so we need to evaluate our prayer by the effects are we growing in virtue Are we growing in patience? Are we willing to be more inclined to the things that aren't pleasurable for us? Are we showing little things like that? Well, I know Teresa says, I forget which work it was. It might've been an interior castle. She said the, uh, I think it was maybe in the fourth mansion when if supernatural things happen in one soul, Mm -hmm. she said that that's not the indicator of holiness. Growth and charity is the indicator. That's concrete. It's objective. Where if someone is not a more loving Christian, wholesome, virtuous person than they were a year ago, then they are not advancing in the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And if they are, it doesn't matter if they've if their prayer is dry, arid, distracted. It's good prayer because God's God's working in our soul in ways that we don't know, mm-hmm. but we can see mm-hmm. because it's bearing good fruit. And John says uh, somewhere in book two, I haven't marked, I can't find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that what is it? One one act of charity you know, performed in humility oh. is greater than all the locutions and apprehensions mm-hmm. and, uh, and visions mm-hmm. than that we could have. So that's, mm-hmm. so that takes us back out into the world. You know, this is not just retreating away and living this quietistic kind of life. Cause even, even the desert fathers, uh, d- demanded charity of those mm-hmm. who followed them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, uh, loving to those who came out and sought their advice. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's never just done for our own good. These things are, uh, yeah, it's not quietism. You know, it's uh, always at the service of the church. And even the those saints who have had extraordinary experiences, mystical experiences, we see that's always at the service of the church. We know about them. Mm-hmm. You know, they help guide us. John guides us. Teresa guides us. Uh, you know, Francis de Sales, Dominic and Francis, all, all these great uh, saints, Catherine of Siena, guide us mm-hmm. so that we can have some sense of what we have some sense in our life of, you know, how we're what we're doing as mm-hmm. Christians. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many of them founded religious orders or major reform movements. So we see those gifts being put at the service of the whole church, mm-hmm. being discerned with their local bishop, mm-hmm. you know, not one friendly priest to them, not friend, one friendly bishop halfway across the world, mm-hmm. their bishop, their mm-hmm. spiritual authority, their shepherd who God appointed over them, however moral that man might be. Uh, and it's then put back out at the service of the church. Mm-hmm. And we, we always see that with the saints. You know, we don't see these rogues uh, going around as, you know, rent a profit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's harsh, but also yeah. a good way to describe it. Okay. So this, this hour has flown by. You realize, <laughs> down, boy, down. <laughs> you realize like we, we are, like we're, we're already at an hour in and, Trust me, my friends, whether you've read the Scent of Mount Carmel or not, we are not scratching the surface of everything oh, no. <laughs> that's that's in here. But I hope you get the idea. My main, right. The main thing that I was hoping that we could kind of drive home today is this idea of, okay, again, we're ascending up this mountain, right? Mm-hmm. God is drawing our souls into greater and greater depths, greater and greater union with him, that we can become attached. We can and we do become attached to both things in the earth, in the world, temporal goods, temporal things, and also spiritual things, right? John also spends a lot of time about like, um, you know, not not being attached to, again, like where your pew, in church like where you sit in church and or a certain rosary i can only pray but it has to be this rosary like we can become very attached to even those things so i think it's a good thing it's like well i'm praying the rosary it's a good thing right well you know you 
you're attached to this particular one or this particular it's well i'm going to mass it's a good thing mm -hmm. well you're attached to your pew not mass mm -hmm. well you know i have all this sacred art right but you're not attached to the one whose picture is on that art you're attached to the craftsmanship of the art you know right and yeah so even spiritual goods can become attachments and prevent us from advancing in perfection that's wild that's mind-blowing it is it absolutely is so that that's the big idea with this is to open our eyes to the reality of the misery of who we are <laughs> <laughs> there, no. yeah no that's not true we gotta be honest with our humanity you be know? honest with who we are yeah. and this is this is this is what um god is doing in freeing us from all of these things in order to draw us closer to him and unite us more firmly to him this is the task that it's at hand it's a big one yeah. but god can do it but it's a lifetime task it's a lifetime you know, and, can, task. and like you said earlier god works slowly and gently with us mm -hmm. and uh you know we can we can see the growth when we look back and you know praise god for the growth that he affects mm -hmm. and then we'll we'll talk about this more i think next week we'll jump into the dark night uh the book the dark night and we'll see that god doesn't leave us alone to do this by ourselves that we're really disposing ourselves to his work mm -hmm. more than we're just doing this work on our own because mm -hmm. even the work that we do like we said is accomplished by god's grace mm -hmm. and driven by the holy spirit mm -hmm. uh, but then God doesn't leave us alone with that. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He affects this detachment in our souls mm -hmm. and uh, you know, purifies us beyond how we can ever pure, hope to purify ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see in the dark night, uh, John really codifies for us uh, the ways that God enters into our soul. God you know, affects a change in our soul in a very radical and you know, painful mm -hmm. way, but so that we can continue to grow in love, you mm -hmm. know, and continue to be in service of the church. And so mm -hmm. we'll enjoy uh, jumping into that a little bit next week. And maybe what are some of the uh, the signs of that? And, you know, if we're experiencing some of these things, what do we do? Right. John tells us. Right. I look forward. Spoiler alert. I have not read John's The Dark Knight. So I've read a commentary on it. So um, I'm pretty certain I'm not going to have it read between now and next week. Um, mm. But I'm excited to sit down and to glean your knowledge of that. So let's kind of end on this note. Because mm -hmm. it was something we talked about before we went live that we really wanted to touch on. And I think we've kind of circled around it, but not specifically mentioned it. So in um, book two, chapter 22, John writes about um, human reason. Okay. Like human reason and judgment were sufficient means for solving this problem. Usually God does not manifest such matters through visions, revelations, and locutions because he is ever desirous that insofar as possible, people take advantage of their own reasoning powers. So he, God wants us to use our reason. And then later on, John talks about God came as a human, as Christ, in this ordinary form, ordinary, meaning mm -hmm. you and I, not supernatural. And if this is how God um, showed himself to us in this human form, who are we to seek him in all these supernatural, extraordinary ways? Right. So God, what God can give us in ordinary means, he prefers. Right. To, and it's right there for us. And it's a guarantee. You know, I can't be certain that my mystical locution is actually a divine mystical locution mm -hmm. but i can be sure when i read the gospel that i'm reading about jesus christ mm -hmm. and i can be sure when i'm reading the old testament that i'm reading the law and the prophets mm -hmm. and you know i can i can be sure when i pray that i'm praying to the lord who i know through the use of my reason mm -hmm. through the gospels mm -hmm. you know through the teachings of the church mm -hmm. i can trust when i believe in uh the trinity i'm believing the faith of the church given to us at you know nicaea mm -hmm. and Anything like that, 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 uh, yeah, that content mm -hmm. of faith, the, de uh, the deposit of faith is, mm -hmm. is the word we use for that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the ordinary means that we know Christ that not, not these extraordinary things. If the extraordinary things happen, you know, praise God, he can use it as he will give it to a competent spiritual authority and don't dwell on it. Don't mm -hmm. become attached to it. Don't stay with it. Don't pursue it. Mm -hmm. Don't pursue people who are saying that this is happening mm -hmm. in their life. Mm -hmm. Don't follow those people because they're not necessarily holier mm -hmm. than anyone else is. Mm -hmm. Pursue the ordinary, the, mm -hmm. the ordinary means of finding God. And he's given it to us in mm -hmm. the deposit of faith. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that yeah. that's not um, offensive. My hope is that that's encouraging. Yeah. Because we um, so often 
set ourselves up and we we look at all these extraordinary things and think well i'm not there so i guess i'm not called to this life of holiness and the point with all of this is yeah you are and you're actually probably closer to god than you think right Mm -hmm. but just by following him in this ordinary human way and remind yourself of that if god himself came to us as a human certainly he wants us to embrace our humanity um and and to use ordinary means to find him and to be drawn to him so any final thoughts with anything that we didn't touch that you want to hit on no just glory to god wow yeah woo getting (laughs) getting after today We came in ready to go today. That's right. <laughs> so put that fire out. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, just a joy being here. Thank you, Father Jedediah, for joining us and for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. You're you're young but don't know anything, but you're fooling us all. That's what he said. I'm young and stupid. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're fooling yeah. us. Well, at least we can do something about the young part in the <laughs> <laughs> sometime in the next yeah few years. Okay. Um, Okay, so anyway, thank you for being here. Next week, we're going to talk about John's commentary of the book, The Dark Knight. So we hope to see you again. Again, if you're following this live, we're recording on the Julia Monin author page at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Otherwise, you can tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. Father, would you mind closing us in prayer? Sure, absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit in a special way on all of us during this Lenten season. Help us to pursue, pursue you for your own sake, because you are good and deserving of our love and not for any of the things that we think that we can get from you, but help us to love you. Help us to grow in charity. uh, Help us to grow in service to your church and help us to turn away from all those things that are preventing us from advancing in love for you and love for our neighbor. And we make our prayer through Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.